0: Welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick of August Capital, and
1: this is Howard Hartenbaum, also of August Capital.
0: I was, <laughs> I was singing to Howard the other day that we the uh, the VentureCast theme song. I don't know how many years back it goes, but well, welcome to VentureCast. To which he was like, "Enough."
1: Is that your jingle?
0: That's the jingle. That's the VentureCast jingle. This is where my son gets it. That's the deal you he he's and so his genius credit.
1: he's genius, you're trying to take credit for it. exactly,
0: yeah. just like every good v c <laughs> take take credit for uh for what for that which you control not um oh my god, you know we were we Howard and I talked about discussing a set of things, but before we get into that, did you see this video about the guy who got his head like got beaten up, dragged off of the united airplane,
1: no yeah.
0: That sounds. I shouldn't be laughing. I shouldn't be laughing.
1: Did he deserve it?
0: That United oversold the plane, and they asked him to get off the plane, and he refused to get off the plane.
1: I think that they can't. Once you're sitting, they can't throw you off the plane. I. I yeah. Anyway, what I, happened? I don't
0: know who, and I, you know, I don't know who physically removed him from the plane, but he was ultimately bloodied in the process of getting off the plane, and the assertion is that United was using, wanted to use the seats for a Deadhead for pilots or for flight attendants or something. I don't know what.
1: I smell a
0: lawsuit. Holy cow, that one's... I mean, so now people are talking about a boycott or what, you know. They, and, and then remember, there was already this stink because they had these two young girls who were trying to get on the plane and they were wearing uh, leggings and they were not allowed on the plane because they weren't allowed to wear wet leggings. But they
1: were employees. They or, were
0: kids of employees yeah. or something. I, I have far less sympathy for the objection to that. Look, if you ultimately have rules about how your free tickets can be used, I, I get think that. if you
1: if you got on the plane, they took your boarding pass and you sat down. That was an exchange of value. You now own that seat. For them to come and take you off, that seems.
0: Uh, yeah, except if you look at these things, they are licenses. You do not own anything. You have a license. If you the well, literally, yeah, but the, the license was licensed. paid
1: for and it was accepted.
0: Y- yeah, the question is, what are the terms of the license? And one of the terms is fucking lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> it is true. Oh, well, Howard, I just got back from teaching my my law class, so I'm very, you know.
1: <laughs> so if you were that, if they pull try and pull you off the plane, and you simply. You know, fall to the ground and say you're having a heart attack. That would be an interesting. (laughs) And bloody your head in the process. You go
0: on the plane or whatever. Anyway, I I think it is. I think that United has many, many faults. Uh, I'm not. I am by no means an apologist for United. I fly many hours on United's airplanes. There are some lovely people. There are some problems. Um, This one seems like a make of their own making. The legging one was, I think, people blowing it out of proportion. Uh, but, holy That this is not good PR for... So
1: you're proposing we United. pause this so I can go watch this video of yeah. Bloody Dead? right? <laughs> so right you enough.
0: can come back and... Yeah.
1: Uh, no, so what I'm brought just, this up all of a sudden? With me? Or yeah, all of a sudden. It, just like we were going to talk about
0: started, something. It just struck and, me because I just was picturing all these tweets about how horrible it is. And I realized, I said, okay, boycott United, but I have like 13 plane tickets booked on United in the coming six months or whatever. So for me that you how can I boycott United? What am I supposed to like cancel them all? You United could just do, make thousands of dollars but in canceling. You could fees. punish
1: them just by the next time you book a ticket, an expensive like you're flying to Europe ticket, fly in Virgin. Say no. Yeah, that's how you do it.
0: I book it what I do is I book it fully refundable, and then right before I get on the plane with Virgin, I cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> But then they would have room for their flight attendants to deadhead to wherever they were going. I think, they wouldn't have to kick some dude off.
1: I think it would have to be like 10,000 people would have to do something like that to really hurt them. Like start picking planes, buying up all the seats, <laughs> like a mob thing, and then canceling them all the day before and leaving planes empty, which oh, costs them a lot of money. That's that right. would be an effective protest.
0: That would be, that'd be ugly. Then, then they'd have to change their rules. It's... Um, well, it's a little like the delete Uber thing, right? Well, delete Uber was only meaningful because 10,000 or 20,000 people then deleted their accounts. And it was like, well, wait a second. That actually starts having an impact. That 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 delete Uber thing started with an employee of one of our companies. Are you aware of this fact? <laughs> <laughs> one of our companies. And, the CEO, and someone said, like, oh, to the CEO, are you aware that this is happening and we've got to make it stop? And the CEO said no, I'm not going to make it stop. If that's what the, this individual feels on his individual Twitter account, I'm not going to stop them mm-hmm. from this process. So,
1: My understanding of the biggest challenge for Uber consumers right now are you ask for a flight. This happened to me in Los Angeles. You ask for, a, for a car yep. and a guy and I... Guy calls me up a minute later. Goes, hey, I just want to know where am I taking you to? And if you don't tell him something that he wants to hear, he will cancel on you. And I so i said I was going to visit my dad, and it was a thirty dollar ride, which was enough for the guy, and he wanted to go in that direction. And then I was talking to him in the car, and I am like, well, what would it have taken for you to say no? And he said, well, I don't want to go downtown.
0: No, no, my wife oftentimes when she calls a, a car to drive her to the city at the wrong time of day, or for me to get one from the city to the peninsula, they say, mm-mm.
1: But that's fascinating, because uh, isn't it taxi law? Like, they can't turn you down where you want to yeah, go? And this is one more yeah, example technically, where technically they're...
0: they can't. I did have one guy who I had some sympathy for. He was picking me up, and he said, uh, and I said, oh, he saw that he was going to the city. he said, oh, my goodness, I have a doctor's appointment, and I'll miss it. I could cancel it now, but I was like, forget it. I'll call another one. But if you're running late, it's a real problem. If it takes 10 minutes for someone to get to you and then you're already... Because the way I get to the airport, one of the reasons why I can't really boycott United is because because I'm global services and so I can skip the line so I can get in through, through security so quickly that I can cut it completely irrationally close. So if I boycott United, I'm going to have to actually get there in a reasonable hour. <laughs> but that's exactly why they do that, isn't it? Hmm. It's very clever. Hmm. I'll,
1: we'll
0: I'll watch the video first. later. All right.
1: So I want to bring up a great pitch that we had this morning because yeah. you were part of the pitch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And the CEO of this company, you had seen a year or so, more than a year and a half ago, and you had liked him and liked his business, um, but ultimately we didn't make an investment, and into this morning's pitch you describe what what he did
0: yeah this was a first and i have to say it was astonishingly effective don't you think like it was a it was impressive it, it uh, as we went through the business got through the business and uh got to a slide and the and he said, the ceo said so at such and such a day and you know 2015 or whatever you uh, decided not to fund the company and here's what you said. And then he pulled up a slide with a quote quoting my email back to him, which said, Hey and and so the good news is that It actually, was a
1: nice email.
0: It was a good e- it was a nice 'cause we liked him. So the email was, gee, we really like you and you're you've done a, a fantastic job and here are the things we're concerned about. We're concerned about market and we're concerned about how crowded it is and we're concerned about so we listed a set of things, said would love to stay in touch. Wish you the best of luck. Sorry, we can't work together. That was basically the email. And then to his credit, then he said, all right, so here are the things you objected to.
1: Three things. And,
0: right? And here, and here's how we've done, right? Here's how we've addressed those things. And I think everybody in the room was like, good for him. Like that was a, it was a great, it wasn't just a great strategy. It was like, he was, he was, he was right. He had addressed a bunch of these things. Um,
1: detail-oriented. He, he listened. He understood what you were saying. He realized that they were important things to focus on, amongst other things. Yeah. And he basically said, here's the three things you said, and I, and I have solved those problems. And he
0: saved the e- He still had the email. He's still like, and he reached back out to me when it was time to raise this new round and said, hey, I really enjoyed our communications last time. Let's have, you know, if you want to hear the update. And to which I immediately said, great. He said, oh, I've made a bunch of progress. I'm like, oh. I want to hear about progress, right? There's no better way to win over a venture capitalist than to make progress, than to say, like, okay, here's what we're going to do, and then you go and do it, or better yet, outperform. And he's busy beating his plan right now. He was, he had, he had addressed in many regards the challenges that we saw. So, you know, we're deeply engaged now in this conversation with him about whether whether it's time to fund the company. Now, the bad news is. Uh, it's more expensive now way more expensive and we've had this a couple times we had another one recently where we end up like really loving the business and very impressed with what the founder did and as I was walking out of the pitch my partner Tripp said yeah we should have funded that last (laughs) round (laughs) like hey Trip, that's not helpful
1: So the enjoy. the thing today made me think about I was reading some article Brian Chesky had kept the emails from people who had passed on Airbnb when it was $100,000 buys 10% of the company <laughs> uh, and you know email he didn't say who the people were which was nice of him but it's like you know we, we really like you but we don't think people are going to stay at other people's houses and yeah. it's a crowded market and regulation and all these types of things and all I'm focused on is $100,000 for 10% of Airbnb.
0: Fred Wilson, who was one of those guys, I don't know if it was in that round or the next round, but Fred... So, Paul Graham from Y Combinator said, Fred, you really should fund this. And there was a bunch of back and forth. And and Fred, in a, in a blog post on AVC, I think it's avc.com, which is Fred's uh, blog, Laid out the back and forth with where he said to to uh, Paul, "Here's what my concerns are with Airbnb and why it may or may not work." And back, and which I thought was a, was a great blog post because it was a great reminder of what that looks like, right? Why? What are the concerns? So you know, so we have our guy today who says, "Here's what you said and here's what I've done." We have this Airbnb post where it's like Paul saying, "I think this could be big," and Fred saying. Yeah, but here are my concerns and a bunch of back and forth. And then the one I just had uh, last week. So I teach this class. Um, this was my eighth year teaching a class at Harvard Law School called Entrepreneurship and Company Creation. And uh, and so in the first week of the class, I talk about pitching businesses and what's an executive summary and all that stuff, right? And um, And then the last class of that session of that week, I have some entrepreneur come in and pitch the whole class, like come in and do a legit, as if we are the VCs. And so this year, a very thoughtful uh, entrepreneur, actually three of them came in, they were pitching an interesting business in the uh, payments space. And they came and pitched the whole class, gave the whole pitch. We I asked questions to my, to my uh, gr- great pleasure. The class started asking good questions and, and at the end of the pitch, I said, well, that was great. Thank you guys so much. Now we're going to talk about it. And ordinarily, what would happen is these guys would then leave the room, and then we'd have a conversation, sort of like our partner meeting, right? We never have these partner meetings with the, with the folks there. But in this instance, they were like, oh, can we stay? <laughs> Which is a little interesting.
1: The real question is, do they really want to hear the feedback, and will the people then be honest and open with the feedback?
0: That was exactly. I was wondering if my students would tell the truth right and i said yes you're welcome to stay and i'm going to be brutally honest and wasn't brutal but i mean honest about how what i'm concerned about and i hope the class will and i said to them please t- at- talk about the things you're genuinely like and genuinely don't like cuz just because they're here it's actually super helpful for them and i think it was i think it was a really good conversation it was and so here this was an interesting thing these guys were serving a particular market. Their technology was serving a particular market that it was somewhat controversial. But the technology could have been used for these other things that were less controversial. And so my students were all like, I wasn't sure about that controversial thing, but I was super excited about the less controversial thing. And let's talk about that, let's talk about that. And they all kept fixating back on this less controversial thing. And it sort of reminded me of each one of our partners, when they joined the, the firm, fall a little victim to this which is you start talking about a business and you say if they did this it'd be better right i yeah. think by the time you came to august you weren't you had been an investor long enough to not do that yeah right but entrepreneurs yeah. in particular I you know, always say best best vcs are entrepreneurs like vivek for sure did it for a bunch of years he still has a great temptation because he's such a good entrepreneur that he's like What if they did this? Wouldn't that be a great business? Like, oh, we did it. No, no. We
1: this happened today. You know, it was sort of half joking. We're listening to a pitch on a you know SMB CRM solution, and I said to you, kind of under (laughs) my breath. You know what the world really needs is a consumer CRM for managing dating cross-platform. And you sort of scratch your... Yeah, that way, right? <laughs> right? exactly. Like, so
0: if anyone's listening and they want to create the dating CRM... I but, think... I heard a
1: rumor that George Zachary at CRV used to use like Salesforce to manage his dating life.
0: Yeah.
1: Was he single, I hope? <laughs> he, was, he was
0: single at the time. Yeah, this is
1: years is and years ago, and it may not be true. So, George, if you want to let us know if it was true or not, but you know, that's kind of interesting.
0: But it is when you think about it, right? No. So yeah, Howard leans over. He's like, well, what you actually said to me was, I'm a consumer investor. I want to invest in personal CRM, consumer CRM. And then you're like, hmm, what is that? Meanwhile, we're discussing as a partnership the enterprise CRM. And then you go, like, wait a second. <laughs> what if it? What if you could take... OKCupid okay, and Match.com.
1: Well, I know somebody who is heavily into the dating scene right now, using multiple platforms and dating multiple people at the same time, and I'm wondering how this person is managing it. Uh, I know. Think I, wa-
0: I watched this person while we, we were recently at an event, and, you know, getting responses, and, oh, what do I think about this person, and, oh, here's a response I get. Like and, I right? said, CRM. But you're right. If you had a good CRM solution, then you could take your match.com and OKCupid and uh, what's the Jewish one? j, j- J-Date. JDate and whatever else. You could pull them all in. You could have a calendar so you could know what you. Right. You
1: could carefully make it so like, you could have two dates on the same evening, <laughs> one getting drinks, the other dinner, but far enough apart so that and they won't collide, places. but close enough so that you can walk.
0: But more importantly, you could also right this is uh, relate iQ remember when we were looking at relate iQ and then others uh, a company Amy Chang's business, which are trying trying to help you keep track of people right because in business it's important to know how you met them and what's the relationship and what they care about and all these things. You totally need that when, if you're messaging, dating all these people, Messaging right?
1: templates. <laughs> I had a great time last night. I hope we can meet again. Or it was nice meeting you, but unfortunately, I don't think it was a perfect fit like automated
0: yeah, but then maybe they could like keep that and then they'd come back to you later and go okay you said I was too short I was too yeah. overweight <laughs> and you said that I didn't like shellfish but, but now I've worked out and I'm a fan of shellfish it could just
1: be like you know thumbs up or thumbs down and then everything is automated afterwards
0: happens. this all sounds very complicated uh, you and I, I guess you certainly as well, right? We dated in a time when there was no online dating. There was no we, online. There was no online, and we just had to, you know, meet people. Well, I, I how did we do wife. that? <laughs> hey, well, no. The bigger question is, how did we end up actually having anyone date us? I can understand the process. I just look at the two of us and go, like, huh, that mm. is shocking. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You oh you, you cheated because you went to Japan I didn't you were, cheat. That was, no <laughs> you, you were, I never cheated. No, Take it you back. Didn't cheat on anyone, but you were like, look at me. I am I am an American man who speaks Japanese. Isn't yeah. that good?
1: Look where there got me.
0: I couldn't speak I couldn't speak another language. I had to only speak you know. Yish. So so
1: anyway, back to your last, back to your your last comment. You you made this guy sit through oh, yeah. the so, feedback. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And I'm curious, like what he heard. You know, they were saying if he did this or if you know we like this. He's like, oh. what happened there? Oh
0: yeah yeah yeah. So anyway, as I was saying, there was like the controversial thing and the non controversially. All kept on going back to the non controversial thing, and. Um, and in the end it was like okay they'd all said their piece it's a law class so i get to kind of control the conversation what do you think of that and how do you think about that and what do you all did people agree with that what do you You know they're oh it's a good team it's a market what about regulation all these things and then and then i finally said look at and then i looked at the this person who's here legitimately pitching our uh, his business to us right this was a a august capital pitch introduced to us by very good people um and I said, I said, look at, I said, first of all, for the sake of the class, they all want you to think about this non-controversial thing, but best I can tell, that is not your business. Your business is this controversial thing. Do you anticipate getting to that non-controversial thing ever? And they're basically like, No. <laughs> I said, No, you're never gonna do that. You're gonna do this thing. So if we wanna do it, it's gotta be the controversial thing, we've gotta be we willing to do it. Um and I basically said, look at, you know, there's a bunch of challenges, and here are the challenges. I laid them out. It was, it was like that email, but it was in real time, face-to-face, which is actually astonishingly valuable, right? I was not mean-spirited about it. I was just honest. And honestly, if he could sort through some of these things, because he was raising a seed round, a couple million bucks, if he could sort through them for the Series A, then we'd love to hear the story.
1: I think he's just pitching to the wrong people. I know what the company you're talking about. He should go directly to the consumers of that service, the companies that he's going to be helping out.
0: Yeah, because they, they have a, because they have a bunch of money available yeah. and whatever else. Yeah. So, but anyway, so Howard, then in reaction to that, you said, you said, oh, maybe we should do that, right? For, for companies, but right? You know, maybe we should... Um, hear so as pitch. an
1: example, right? Yeah. As an example, we saw a company recently and very, very impressive pitch... And we talked about the company afterwards and talked about the due diligence and the reference calls we were doing. And if that person had listened to us, they they would have learned something from it. They would understand where we were questioning. But then a week later... We're now talking about the company and decided not to move forward because, as a result of due diligence, we found that the person wasn't answering everything straightforward. And I think the challenge with having the team come and listen to you is when it's related to team issues, you you have to bite your tongue. You can say things like, "I don't think that the numbers are credible" or "I don't believe that they're being realistic." But if you you know, sometimes people tell us stuff that's just an untruth.
0: In this instance actually this particular founder would have greatly benefited from that feedback right because there is a temptation to try and make everything seem great right oh i'm going to tell i'm going to tell you what yeah. you want to hear i'm going to gloss over it whatever and honestly if this particular founder had said here's what's hard about this here's how we're thinking about it whatever then i think i think we would have been much more inclined to say okay let's bet on this person right and what was most interesting about this one is that in a one hour pres- you know scripted conversation this entrepreneur was great really compelling super compelling but then as you think about it and you dig in a little bit you go well wait a second <laughs> like wait a second what about this thing or what about that thing and the second you start having those, you're, it's done.
1: And you're getting evasive answers or they're yeah. conflicting with prior comments that were made. I think in, in this case, it would be very useful to share that with the entrepreneur, particularly because we heard concerns about that from prior investors as well, which is a whole other topic in itself. If, if, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you have investors and you have some issues that have come up as a result, Many of your angels are going to tell those issues to VCs. Because Because
0: we have relationships with those people.
1: And they will say, oh, you're interested in this company. Before you would consider investing, you should be aware of X, Y, and Z. And we listen to those things, and sometimes we still invest, and we ask questions about it, and sometimes we don't invest. But we usually know all of the issues that have happened in the past b- between an entrepreneur and angel or seed funds or prior investors.
0: What's so interesting is the contrast with the entrepreneur this morning, who the one of the reasons we liked the pitch so much was very forthcoming and astonishing, astonishingly detail focused, right? Yep. You asked a question, it was like, oh, that's 19%. Oh, here's yeah. the distinction, here's whatever, right? not trying to sell us
1: but the pitch we had prior to that I asked percentage questions and the answer was a lot or a little or I'm not really sure or
0: you're allowed to say I'm not sure as long as the previous nine times you gave us an answer yeah but if you but if you are vague 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 and not sure it's not very credibility building which is which is a challenge
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had the experience that very analytical CEOs who understand everything in their business on the tip of their tongue usually do better than most.
0: So this is interesting. So for whatever reason, I went down this rabbit hole. I don't know if you've done this, but, you know... Our companies are all covered by, are all sort of reviewed. Rabbit yeah, hole. rabbit hole. Howard's pointing to my many, many copies of Alice in Wonderland that are sitting on the shelves. Uh, so the rabbit hole is that I started looking on Glassdoor, right? And Glassdoor is a site that reviews the management of companies, what it's like to work in companies. And so I started looking up my the companies in which I'd invested to try and get a sense of it, right? And um, and it, was, and it was very interesting. Now obviously the companies have been around a longer period of time, have more reviews, there are various things, but I ended up, I decided that I would email my CEOs with what I'd seen. Hey, just I was on Glassdoor, I saw X, Y, and Z. Stri- this one strikes me as uncompelling. This one is concern, right? Well, um, one, of them, one of the reviews suggested that one of my companies was doing something illegal. So I forwarded it to the CEO and said, hey, listen, this is, you know, I'm a, th- I am am assuming that this is not true, but we need to discuss this. And if it is in fact untrue, we need to address it. And if it is true, we need to address it, right? Here are these things. I had another one where it was, you know, there were a set of, of commentaries that suggested that there was politics at the mid-level management. So again, off to the CEO to say, hey, you know, how you? Think, I saw these things. Do you think there's any merit to it or whatever? And what was great is that to a person, the CEOs and COOs and others who I emailed had, you know, had all seen it. They all go to Glassdoor, and they all and and some of them had been addressed directly. Oh, this is why I don't think it's fair, or correct, or whatever. Here's what I think the cause is. But it it gave me great confidence in you know, in these particular individuals because they were so detail-focused and they had such clear answers and whatever else. And, you know, look, we will take very seriously anyone who suggests things like something illegal or sexual harassment or whatever, things that are, whatever. But but the fact that the companies are on it, I thought, was super valuable.
1: One thing I noticed about Glassdoor is I had a company a few years ago... Um, where the company started struggling and the founders started flailing about a bit. They just did not know what to do. And their Glassdoor ratings had been going up for the past, the prior two years. And from that point, it started going down to the point where the company finally failed. Yeah. And it was just fascinating that. That was the point. Like, it was like to the day you could see the thing going up to going down where there was self confidence and progress and then self doubt and concern and kind of took and you could see like management started leaving and they had more trouble recruiting people yep. and yep. so Glassdoor is kinda of interesting.
0: I had one that was super interesting because there were you know, it wasn't a perfect review. It wasn't like a, what is it, a five point scale or whatever. It wasn't like it was five stars, but the CEO had hundred percent. Which is really interesting. I mean, that suggests a very good CEO who can face... Or he's managing to that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Managing. That's a hard thing to do, right? Uh,
1: I will only hire you if you'll let me into your Glassdoor account and and I can rate myself.
0: Yeah. And I'll write some vaguely critical things so as to give credibility to my 100% for the CEO.
1: Hey what was you had mentioned that you were tweeting something in the past few days about length uh, yeah. length of time on boards what what was I, that I,
0: this was over the weekend I, I was i went online just to sort of go hey what's going you know like what's the latest on twitter and let me see if i can find it cuz someone basically called out vcs for um uh for not being reliable basically um and I'm searching through now because there's been a bunch of commentary since, um, but basically the idea was that uh, there was a conversation I was in where the the discussion was that the distinction between venture capital and seed funding or or those sorts of organizations that VCs are with you for the long haul, and that the other folks invest but then they move on they get venture funding and then they move on and. Um, and someone basically just said that's just garbage. <laughs> they said like that's not true. In fact, VCs all the time when it, things aren't going well abandon their companies, right? Which,
1: which is a broad claim with no data.
0: Yeah, I mean it's broad. Uh, you know, here it is. Should be well understood by anyone taking venture capital. Massive to believe, uh, massively believe otherwise, and then. Uh, Whoops! Where's the thing? Oh, oh, Twitter, you're failing me. That VC's abandon their um, abandon their companies. If things start going poorly, they abandon their companies. So I'll, I tweeted, uh, "I've been on the Splunk board for 14 years, the Gnomus board for 11, was with Ebates for 14. We take commitment seriously at August Capital." That was my that was my response. Um, yeah, here's the. It was Parker Conrad who said, "VC's making ten-year commitment to companies and founders is among the most enduring of Silicon Valley lies. Companies that lose their luster are quickly abandoned."
1: And Parker Conrad knows this because of why?
0: I, I don't. Again, I, you know, you don't get that context in uh, in uh, in in Twitter. Um, but that was Park. That was Parker's takeaway was. This is a this is an enduring live Silicon Valley. Well, you and I have been on boards for a long time. Co-founder and
1: CEO right? of Rippling, co-founder and CEO of Zenefits. So one of the co-founders of Zenefits. Co-CEO of Wikivest, Wikinvest.
0: So maybe you know. So maybe he, his his experience in those places, whatever. But
1: if that's the same Parker Conrad.
0: Yeah, that yeah. is that is
1: the part. Oh. oh, interesting. Um, so that, he must have had a bad experience.
0: Yeah, must have had VCs who weren't you know. And maybe that's what happened with uh, with the company when it started getting tough or whatever. But I can say this for sure. Well, one of the things that's true is when companies are not doing as well, they fail more quickly. So you're less likely to be on those boards for a long period of time. And so, because someone said, "Oh yeah, of course," the shine, you know, you stay with companies that are doing well for a long period of time because you can. Like our partner, Dave, who was on the Microsoft board for 33 years. Like, why would you not be on the Microsoft board for 33 years? Other than public company boards. Are How long
1: have you been on the Splunk board?
0: 14. Wow. A lot of years, right? So it's a lot of years. But I think that our commitment... Let me see if you think this is true. My belief is that when I invest in a founder and his or her company that it is my commitment to them that I will continue to support them for as long as they continue to believe it is v- worth their time to work on that company.
1: Define support?
0: Uh well if i if i go on a board and it makes sense to stay on the board i'll stay on the board if they want me to continue to be on the board and supporting the business if you know it, d- it doesn't mean i'll give you money forever. Got right? it. I think
1: that's the point that some people believe that if you take money from somebody, no matter what happens in the future, they're obligated to give you more money. And I think that support might be construed in that perspective. And there are some VCs who will keep putting money in forever whether or not it's going to work out or not work out. But I think the definition of support, you know, are you going to stay on the board, are you going to switch yourself out and put some junior person in your place? Or does it mean, you know, I've had some companies where Gave them some money And they set some goals And they maybe raised some more money And then a few years later It wasn't really working out And the business was failing And they said Well, we could raise more money Or we could try and sell the company Do you want to put more money in? And we have a nice conversation Say, well, the business isn't working And it's not really a great use of your time If you can find a new outside money I'll participate and give you some more money But if you can't raise outside money Maybe it's time to sell the business I would consider that very supportive yeah. Look, but some might not.
0: No, I think like ultimately, our obligation is to be is to be truthful, to be predictable. Right? You can't tell a company, "I'm going to support you," and then pull the rug out from under them. Right? But you can say some guys
1: do do that, and they
0: totally do. That's why I think there's stuff about. I think they're, they're It's not like this never happens. It's just that that's not our mode at August Capital. Our view is. We make a commitment to entrepreneurs. We're trying to help them build a business. As long as they're making forward progress, we will continue to do everything we can to support them. That oftentimes is money. But look at, I mean, Ebates is a great example of this where Ebates, when we funded it, was doing great and growing quickly, and then things got challenging in the market and in the business, and it sort of it didn't flatline, but it was growing slowly for for many years. And there were many opportunities to say, hey, should we just sell the company or whatever? And, and the founders were of the view that there was, there was value to be built. And so we stuck around, and we helped them try different things. Ultimately, helped to recruit a, a fantastic entrepreneur who then became the CEO. And things started changing, and and the business did did well. And ultimately, sold sold for a billion dollars. Right. But,
1: and in the meanwhile, we did support them with more money too.
0: Yeah, we invested more money, which was great for us. It was great for them. You know, so we've had plenty of instances where there where the businesses, you know making some progress, but it's slow progress, et cetera. And my view is that we made a commitment to those folks to try and help them be successful. And as long as they're still engaged in it, in the business and they're t- with their time, that's what we should do, right? And there are plenty of times when you kind of say, hey, this is, do you want to bring in new investors? Do you want to sell the company or whatever? But we are definitely not of the ilk that when it looks like it's not going to be the billion dollar outcome, we say, Bye bye or here have have some junior person and you know call us if you need us or whatever that's just I mean I don't
1: disagree with Parker I do know a few VCs who if a company is not so exciting anymore suddenly at a board meeting a junior guy shows up and he's the new board member representing that firm I've had that experience before it's rare but I've seen it
0: yeah no it's a Uh, what i find in twitter land and on facebook and the thing that i'm i'm i just can't leave alone even though i should are these incredible vc generalizations like oh the dirty little secret is vcs suck because they're sucky suck (laughs) all of them and i always say like Okay, wait a second. Like, we did, there are some sucky VCs. I'm not defending the entirety of my my profession, but like, don't be confusing all of us for doing the same thing. I had I did this on Facebook, you know. Oh my God, your used VCs are all the same because you blah. And I always and then I always regret it. Like, oh, I should have just left. It.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it's best to say nothing
0: i had to ultimately unfriend someone i had known for almost 30 years in one of these because she just disflamed me for no like just decided that because i was defending you know the the business that she was just gonna trash me call me a horrible sexist like anti-woman investor i was like what are you talking like uh it just was painful Hmm. I got to stop that. Who is this? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shame. It was a shame, Howard. Yeah. Oh well.
1: Hey, I have a uh a case right now where I have a company that there is a buyer who is interested in the company and the buyer is actively trying to drive a wedge between the founders and the and the investors in the company Ugh. in order to pay less to get the company by effectively bribing the founders and saying, ah, you don't need to worry about your shareholders. We'll give you more money. You come over here. Don't worry about them. Have you had that experience? And what do you yeah, think about that?
0: It's awful. I mean, it happens all the time, right? I'm, I had a company that I was selling. Uh, the founders wanted to sell to Google. And Google offered basically half of the... Dollar value in the acquisition to the founders, despite the fact that it ignored the...
1: That the founders only own 30% of the business. Yeah,
0: exactly. That they didn't own the... the, the, They didn't own that much of the company, and it resulted in the investors getting less than they deserved if it had just been, hey, here's, you know, here's all the money, split it up according to the equity in the company. And... um, and when I spoke with the head of corporate development for for Google, his answer was, well, look at Larry. No, I think it was Sergey. Sergey has a rule where he wants people who are required to have X amount of stock going forward, etc. And I said, oh, I, I understand the rule, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can... Then punish the investors by giving disproportionate amount of the equity to the founders when they still have a bunch of vesting going forward. It wasn't. This was not a case where they had were fully vested. And they, they were half they vested whatever. in this case. Yeah. Yeah. They had half of their vesting still going forward, which meant they had millions of dollars on the hook if they could, if they just did the deal. And and so I said, you know, look at ultimately to this corp dev person if you want to own the company then you should treat us fairly because ultimately you know one of the things that venture capitalists largely get when they're when they're buying shares in the company is the ability to say no to an acquisition and this is exactly the circumstance where that is a is not only useful but fair thing to have which is to say like i didn't want to sell the company in the first place but i totally understood why the founders did and i was happy to let them do it but not at my expense, and to the credit of of the founders, they they held tough, and the and Google ultimately came back with an offer that was slightly more money and more fairly distributed, and and we sold the company, right? So, um, but if they're truly insistent on this, it is a bad, it's just a bad sign. It's a bad sign that the acquirer will try to do things as you're getting closer to the outcome, right? Because they know as you get more and more bought into the sale of the company, they have more leverage, you have less capital. I mean, if you want to play games in that context, you really can.
1: I had one company years ago called Jot, and Nuance ended up buying them, and in the process, I think, I don't remember if it was Nuance or it was another buyer tried to play these games, and the founders were like, no, we yeah. have a cap table. We have an agreement. It's not only a handshake. It's written on paper. That's the deal I have with my investors that back me. If that doesn't work for you, then we're not going to. And the buyers were like, well, you know, then we won't buy you. And they said, great, okay. don't buy us. <laughs> and then they said, well, maybe we can talk about that a little bit differently. And and maybe it's just a greed issue. But it's pretty no, frustrating. It's
0: a different thing, right? I think that... Because I've known some great entrepreneurs who have exactly that attitude in fact I'm funding a company right now be, that sh- should have been acquired but the acquirer did exactly what you're describing and said we're going to give you the lion's share of the value here and the founder said but my investors made a set of choices they were good people you know like why would you do that that's not like that doesn't strike us as terribly fair and they said, "Yeah, but that's how much we're willing to to pay, and most of it should go to you and whatever." And the founders ultimately were like, "Forget it. We're not interested in doing that. We're interested in creating value for our investors and for ourselves." Right now, I have another interesting one right now, where through a set of circumstances, there's a you know, if the company were to be acquired at call it a couple hundred million dollars. The investors, some investors would get their money back, right? You'd get back the money, you wouldn't make any money. But at a couple hundred million dollars, the the founders, the you know, the employees actually make quite a bit of money. And so every acquisition has its own dynamic. But even in that instance where you say, like, wait a second, why are you getting rich and we're getting our money back? The real answer is totally fair they're not playing games and
1: that was the deal we agreed to the cap
0: table's the cap table no one's rejiggering it yeah if that happens more power to them i'm not i'm not about redistributing wealth to investors i'm about not redistributing wealth away from investors (laughs) you know (laughs) i mean if that makes me a terrible capitalist then you know uh, i'm guilty i guess
1: well i asked that question because i get to go and have a nice telephone call with the for this company right now (laughs) where I say to them, you know, there's obviously some conflicts of interest going on here. Standby. Power failure. All contact with plane lost. The switch is turned on. The standby emergency generator dependent on battery power springs into instant action. The life-saving signal is resumed.
0: Hey, this is David Hornick from August Capital.
1: This is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital.
0: And we were recording a cast, and apparently we ran out of batteries, and so I think we need to buy new equipment. But in any event, I hope you enjoyed whatever we actually recorded.
1: Because we don't know where it ended.
0: (laughs) And have a great day. Thanks for listening.